0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com so you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll, Lord no. knows that country
2: music's gonna save your soul the devil runs his groove in that rhythm and blues that him. it's gonna get your son in the end welcome back to the speakeasy i'm damon bolte and my name is southern teague and i'm greg benson hey happy holidays guys Happy or yeah, that, freaking mean, <laughs> holidays, everybody! <laughs> by that I mean Happy Repeal Day a few days yes, ago. Yes, <laughs> exactly
3: on Sunday, The best holiday. Yeah, I mean, did you guys one, did you do one, anything?
2: I mean, it kind of it kind of like snuck by this year. I did not do a damn
3: thing. Um, we don't usually do much, but at least we kind of pay it homage and mention it at the bars. Um, but this year, it just yeah, as Greg just said, it slipped by. Um, I don't even know um, if the big party that happens in dc happened this year and also the one in orlando i didn't hear or see anything on social that's how it slipped by i don't know there wasn't a lot of like fanfare
2: yeah i mean it's it's something that I, I think i accidentally celebrated on sunday um just because it was sunday uh but like yeah there wasn't really a whole lot of like activity about it i mean but uh this being what i think it's like the 85th year or something like that like something uh, like that <laughs> yeah we can look it
3: up and find out but but yeah um
2: if it's the 86 here if it's 86 then we that's a huge and we fail it. oh
3: man that'd be a huge fail <laughs> uh yeah i mean i went to church of course uh um and it hung out with matt resler but i didn't i didn't pay attention to the fact that it was repeal day at all i kind of just slipped by, slipped by me church church meaning Bargoto, right of course yes sir yeah okay um, cool uh, let's see. 21st Amendment to the United States Constitution, December 5th, 1933. So that's 88 years. So it wasn't 86.
2: We we didn't uh, notice when, it was 86 two years ago. <laughs> oh, geez. Man, we really slipped on uh, <laughs> repeal day. Jeez. Yeah, repeal
1: day 2019. Jesus, if only we'd known.
3: <laughs> well, we don't want to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, we don't want to. We don't want to. 86 repeal day. We want to keep it. Um, ah, yeah. Right. The, the day that uh, prohibition was re- repealed in America. Um, yeah. And also, we're in the thick of holiday season, and I don't know about you guys, but man, I've got just event after event after event going on at the at the various bars. Um, plus, we're launching finally Loja by Amori Margot. Um, we did a little soft opening of it on the, the weekend. Maybe that's why I missed repeal day. I was too busy with that, uh, and saw that we had some kinks that needed to be worked out. So we paused it, and we're going to relaunch it again starting tomorrow. Um, but, uh, also, uh, in the holiday spirit, I am up in Rhinebeck, New York right now, uh, doing the Ooh. show even more remote than normal. Um, I'm up here at a place called Bia owned by a guy named Kyle Kelly. And we're doing an industry night. That's going to feature me and some, some folks making some drinks, um, for industry. They're not even open on Wednesdays. They're, they're just doing an industry holiday party up here for this community, which is, I think pretty, pretty
2: dope. So I that's came great. all the way up here to do it. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing more like holiday season to me than like upstate New York. It just kind of always feels like the holiday season up there.
3: It's kind of quaint and charm. You know, I think, yeah, to get out of the city and be on, you know, winding roads that are covered with fall leaves and, you know, you can see little ice patches on top of ponds as you, you know, whiz by them. And yeah. And then even coming into this space, it's quite cozy and there's some, you know, understated, but beautiful Christmas arrangements and holiday arrangements around. It looks, it looks nice. It's, it's very, um, you know, a little bit hallmarky. Um, yeah, so sure. I'm up here with Aime and Rocky from Rocky's, uh, uh, milk punch liqueur. I'm hanging out with Matt from barking irons. Uh, Brittany's coming up Brittany Latrell's coming up from, uh, plantation. Uh, Adam Castelzi is going to be up here from uh, Casa Dragonis. I'm making drinks using Casa Dragonis. It's going to be a fun time. Um, and I wish you nice. guys could join. But also, I would point out, uh, with the exception of the trip that we took, uh, Damon, back in uh, February of 2020, or was it January when we went to Mexico?
2: Yes. Yes.
3: <laughs> either way. Yeah. Either way, it's 20, th- 22 or 23 months that I've been uh, no more than, you know, Three to five miles from my apartment, so even though it was just an hour and a half or so drive up here, it's the furthest I've been away from home since the pro. Since I was about to say the prohibition, since uh, (laughs) since the pandemic began. So honestly, for me, it just feels good to be out of the city for a minute. And even though I have to rush right back to open up Loja tomorrow, I'm just happy to be up
1: here. Nice. Yeah, man. I remember we we opened the show last week, and I was sort of giving you a little, you know, my my travel tips, uh, my post-apocalyptic travel tips. And I was like, you know what, just kind of like. Take your time, enjoy it, enjoy the scenery as it's going by in the car. And then, like you know, about forty-five minutes ago, I got a text on uh, the the speakeasy thread that we have that was just like, ah, "I might not make it there in time. I'm stuck in traffic." And I was like, "That's a that's the southern road trip experience right there." But I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad that you had a good time, but You actually made it to where you're going. It sounds uh, it sounds fun, and like you're getting a, a nice little vacation inside of a cute little snow globe. So I'm uh, I'm happy for you, man.
3: And I appreciate it. And it's going to be again. It's going to be a really good time. And Kyle Kelly is um, very accommodating host. He rushed me right in, hooked me up with the internet, and here we go. So glad to be glad to be settled in and rocking out the speakeasy. I do want to ask you, Damon? You weren't on the show with us last week um, because you were still amid uh, your bout with COVID. Uh, how, how you feeling, buddy? Sense of taste and smell come back.
2: Yeah, it's, it's pretty much back, but I mean, honestly, you know, I I think everyone should get vaccinated. I'm I'm like slightly overdue for my booster uh, and I, I should have gotten it, but uh, instead of, you know, I got COVID, (laughs) but um, (laughs) you know, I think because of the the vaccine, it's like, I've had worse hangovers is that's, that's what I'm going to say. I've had worse like tales of the cocktail hangovers than, (laughs) than my COVID reaction. And I lost my taste and smell for about, six days or so but uh it's coming back and and we were kind of joking before the show um you know I, I i don't think i ever really had that refined of a palate anyway um so like, <laughs> <laughs> so now i'm just it's more than like thinking like oh it's not fully back yet i'm like oh it's back to normal and i just suck at tasting things um but <laughs> I you use this as an
3: opportunity to you know uh, brush up
2: You know, it's, it's been interesting, you know, going through the process of, of understanding what's actually happening outside. You know, they say when you lose one sense, you know, know, the others get heightened. And one of my bartenders at grand army, are you clairvoyant now? Yeah, exactly. I mean, (laughs) I knew you were going to say that, Um, (laughs) but uh, one of, one of our bartenders at, at, at grand army got it like super, super early on. And his experience was, that he really started focusing on texture of cocktails. And so he reworked his martini spec based on the mouthfeel. And it's kind of a bizarre spec. It's like, it's like two and a half ounces of gin, like three quarter dry, half, uh, half blanc or something like that. You know, it's, it's not like a standard, like split base kind of situation. And I tried it out and I was like, man, this is, this is really pleasant. So, I kind of started doing that with other things and just kind of like focusing on texture and like kind of like how things actually, you know, I think you being, you know, a chef before and still in my mind, you still are, um, you know, there's certain textural things that happen like with dishes that, that are really important. They might not impart like too much flavor. I think there's certain like, like nuts, for instance, in certain Mm -hmm. dishes, you know, like that if, if you're, if it's like a really saucy dish, you know, that's got a lot of spice and stuff going on, you're probably not going to get much of the nuance of the nuts in the flavor, but like a texture from a texture component, like it, it really like kind of sells the, that, that side of the dish. you Yeah, absolutely.
3: 100%. You have to think about texture when you're, when you're putting dishes together and I can completely understand that when, you know, I was an early adopter to COVID as well. And I, I went for nine days with no sense of taste and smell And I, I do remember things like, I I just wanted things to be crunchy. I just wanted like uh, food wise. I was just putting, I just
2: want to feel something, anything. Yeah. You know, I was just
3: putting (laughs) like crushed potato chips on top of my, uh, you know, pasta or whatever. I just wanted that crunch. I
2: wasn't getting any of the flavor out of it, but I wanted that. Everything's kind of mushy, right? Yeah, Uh, You started realizing how, like I I got it right. Like the week of Thanksgiving and when you think about Thanksgiving foods, Mm. it's all like mashed things and in, in sauces. And it's like, I was just like, man, I, I can't taste any of this stuff. And it's just, I feel like I'm eating baby food or something, you know? And so like, it, I, I totally understand where you're coming from with that. Like, you, like the texture is really important. So it was, re- it was really fun kind of like reworking some classic cocktail specs based on solely on, uh, on, on the texture. So yeah, pretty cool. All right.
3: Well, here's hoping we don't have to go through another holiday without a sense of taste and smell. Yeah. Um, but while we're talking about holidays, let's talk about holiday cocktails and let's bring in to the studio our guest for the week. Who do you got for us, uh, Greg?
1: So in the studio today, uh, the virtual studio, we have Andrew Meltzer, who uh, his email signature says, bartender, educator, nice guy from San Francisco and London. Uh, and we're going to talk about some uh, holiday cocktails specs. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us. Howdy, guys. Thanks so
4: much for having me back. It's a pleasure yeah. to hear
3: all your voices. Yeah, man. Great to have you back on the show. And this time you're coming to us uh, remotely, but you're in Poland?
4: I am in Poland. Yeah, my uh, home is London right now, but I'm traveling around Poland with my girlfriend. So right now I'm in a snowy little village outside of Torun, uh, hanging out with mom and dad and getting a taste of all the cold vodka and varieties of
2: cabbage. Nice. <laughs> Talk <laughs> about crunch, right? Yeah.
4: Yeah. You know, the the sad thing is I'm the only one that celebrated repeal day because I had a little annual reminder come up on my phone and with the help of Google Translate explained it to uh, the father-in-law and he was, he was re- repealed <laughs> to yeah. hear about this, <laughs> found it appalling and uh, we celebrated with a bottle of vodka as Polish
1: folks do. Yeah, I'm I'm with Damon. I accidentally celebrated repeal day. But then again, I feel like I accidentally celebrate repeal day on a lot of days that aren't December fifth. So, you know.
3: <laughs> yeah, there's that. But I imagine it was pretty um off putting for, for him to hear about the fact that we did this, you know, quote unquote noble experiment in the first place where we somehow convinced the entire country to agree to not drink for thirteen years.
4: Oh, I had to explain it a couple of different ways to get the message across.
3: (laughs) I'm sure you would. I mean, it's you know we live it, so it doesn't sound so you know foreign to us. But obviously, in other places, they've got to be like, "What? Wait, what? You did what for how long?" Uh, And wait, no, everybody agreed. Yeah, okay, Um, yeah. Uh, So
4: that's that's, that's why they don't have speakeasy cocktail bars here,
3: right? Because they 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 never had they never had a need for one. Yeah, no, I've always thought it was. unusual and funny when you see all these bars across the world who, who put Speakeasy in their name and you're like, you don't, you didn't, I don't, it doesn't make
1: sense. They're just fans <laughs> no. of the show. Yeah. <laughs>
3: yes. Where we speak easy about booze. Mm-hmm. Um, well, great to have you back on. Last time you were on, uh, wasn't long after you had done world class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you went pretty far in that. Talk a little bit about that to remind the guests of, of who you are.
4: Yeah, it's been great. So in two thousand sixteen, I was the world class U.S. national champion. So it's bartending competition that takes place in sixty countries around the world, and it was an amazingly challenging time where you're coming up with not just one but a dozen or more cocktails and lots of storytelling, food pairing, farmers market challenges. And um, since then, I've been happily part of the program either judging the competitors in our regional and national finals. I've been assisting a couple of our national winners at the global challenges, which is an awe striking event. And I also help with the world-class studios programming, which is an educational platform where we teach bartenders about current trends, uh, culinary techniques, and just some of the basics of tasting. So um, I myself am always developing my sense of smell and taste like you guys. Yeah.
3: And texture. Yeah, and texture. Yeah, don't forget texture. Oh, That's yeah. that that a key well, component.
4: It's, it's funny you said that because one of the things I wanted to talk about is just, you know, we're in citrus season now, but when we're out of citrus season, there's so many other forms of acid that we can add to cocktails like verju and vinegars and things like that. And um, it's interesting when you play around with cocktails. And have a limited sense of smell, or even just pinch your nose shut, so that you can gauge the texture of the cocktail and see how different ingredients affect the way it uh, plays around on your palate.
2: Yeah, I've always been a, a for a long time. I think some people know this, but huge fan of acid, uh, uh, alternative acids, specifically vinegars in <laughs> <and> cocktail. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, come on, guys.
2: Actually, uh, Michael Harlan Turkle's book "Acid Trip." Um, he features. My uh, balsamic Negroni, not yep. to be confused with uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, whatever that actor is that started claiming that Tucci. He, uh... Tucci. Yeah. yeah. Oh
4: God. Yeah. Terrible.
2: I've I've been doing it for like twelve years now, so. <laughs> but uh, it's really fun, especially like with uh, with stirred cocktails like that. You know, whenever you get to use vinegars, I mean, it kind of opens up this whole other world, right? It, it really unlocks something.
4: Yeah, you know, for me, I really love talking about food and cocktail pairing. I like mm. I enjoy working in restaurants as much or more as in a speakeasy style craft cocktail bar because I I like eating. I like talking to people about food and I feel like a lot of uh, folks are still stuck in the last 2000 years where only wine could be consumed with food. And when you have a really high quality vinegar adding a bit of um, brightness to a stirred cocktail, for example, it makes it much more food friendly and it opens the gates for bringing cocktails into the dinner table.
2: Absolutely. You know, the, the, I, I, I used to use vinegar and cocktails back way back in the day at prime meats. Like we opened in like 2008 and it was, it was cool to me to see how, people would drink cocktails all the way through their meal there. And I had never seen that anywhere else. And that was kind of like a turning point for me. But then also like using, it was, it made it even more like kind of poignant that when we were using these, uh, vinegars and cocktails, it was, it seemed to be like across the board. Like everyone was drinking cocktails. Also, I got like, I got like, there was like a piece in the New York times, I think uh, about, uh, these cocktails, those all these vinegar importers started sending me free bottles of vinegar. So like all of a sudden at one point I had like 400 bottles of vinegar in the the, like (laughs) spirits and wine room. And so like, and they were like really high in like hundred year old balsamic vinegars. And, you know, so like for years, that's what everyone got for like holiday gifts, (laughs) like really nice bottles of vinegar. Um, but yeah, I, I love that too. I think that, you know, I know it's it's hard for for some of us who work in like cocktail bars that don't have food programs, but man, I feel like there should always be food in in a bar, and even if that's a bag of Zaps chips, you know, like like there has to be some sort of food element.
4: Yeah, something you know. I love when you're in some of the control states that require a bar to serve a certain variety or um, certain size menu of food items if they want to serve hard liquor, and you'll see mm-hmm. like. An amazing cocktail bar with a, all of the ice, all of the tools, a huge back bar, and then no kitchen, of course, but somewhere in the corner by the ice machine is a deep fryer, and they're just serving <laughs> tater tots and french fries and chicken nuggets, you know?
2: There's a guy named Mike who owns a bar called Travel Bar in Carroll Gardens in Brooklyn, and he, he really figured a way to, to kind of cheat the system. Um, <laughs> he uh, he was told that he had to have five hot items on the menu um uh, at his his mostly like whiskey bar and he realized he had like a small galley kitchen and uh he had his friend who owns a pizza shop make like essentially just cheese pizzas and then uh you know he has all the toppings there and it's all like you know charcuterie and things that are like cured so they, they don't really like turn so quickly right. and uh and on the menu he technically has five different pizzas, but it's all the same pizza as like a template. <laughs> and he just changes yeah. the toppings. It's great, uh, and he keeps brilliant. like five of them at a time. You know, like there's only like five pieces. People don't order food there, but uh, no. if, if they were to, they you know they have those five options.
4: Or you see a place that has a few microwave dinners, you know, but they're yeah. like they're like thirty five dollars for a frozen
3: steak and right. eggs,
2: yeah. And they just don't move because they're thirty five dollars. Yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, like yeah, I on flip inter, side, inter, inter,
3: international bar in the East Village uh, keeps uh, MREs, right? The meal ready to yeah, eat. Totally. Oh wow. uh, But, but they're, <laughs> they, they they only have like three of them uh, at any given time, and and I think they're I think they're eighty bucks now. It used to be fifty, <laughs> but I think it went up to eighty because they don't what intend they they don't intend to, they're 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 more inti- more they're they're to sell those things. They just uh, have to have them, and there it is. And if you want to buy it, you'll you'll spend the money. Yeah.
2: But on the flip side it's like it makes the drinks more interesting when you do have a kitchen to play with. You know like true. Like, like we I know that like we've definitely spent a lot of time you know in the back of the house or in the walk-in or in the pantry like looking around for stuff that could make an interesting cocktail, right?
3: Of and, course and and the other, the other it goes the other way too, you know, when I was doing reserve at a Mori Margo none of the drinks use any acid at all, right? Because everything, I'm, well, not, not, not at all, right? Some vermouth, et cetera, has some acidic qualities, but no citrus, no, no things that we were just talking about, no vinegars, no lacto-ferments and shrubs and stuff like that. Um, so, and I think it's, it's the acidic qual excuse me, the acidic quality of cocktails that is the bridge into the world of savory, so the world of food. So I was sneaking acidic components into all of the food items to mm. make that bridge go the other direction.
4: Uh, it's funny, you, yeah. Especially when you look at the science of taste and how salt, bitter, umami, sweet, and sour can all suppress or enhance one another. And it's funny because I was in um, a really nice fine dining prefi restaurant in Copenhagen, and instead of the chef writing a menu and the sommelier pairing wines with it, it went the other way around. Mm-hmm. The Somme selected their Eight favorite wines, and then the chef paired food to go with them. So you had a lot of reverse flavor pairing, like you just mentioned.
3: And that's exactly how I had to do it at, at Reserve. We would come up with the drinks, and then I would go into the kitchen and and conspire, you know, with with my my team back there to make the food to go with the drinks.
2: Hmm. That's
3: a, it's a really interesting way of looking at, at at the puzzle. Yeah. And again, we would just sneak acidic components into the foods to make them pair into the drinks.
4: Oh, that's so wise. And I like that you mentioned things like vermouth having acidity, which many bartenders are using vermouth all day, every day, and don't even think about the acidity. Um, But of course, that's the prime component in in a wine's freshness. And you need to think about that
1: when you're putting cocktails on the table with food. Yeah. So I mean, I want to ask you, Andrew, because one of my favorite things to do, I mean, talking about you know how we, we want to move away from just pairing wine with food one of my favorite things to do since I came up through breweries is is beer pairings with food i love it it, it blows people's minds because people don't think of beer as having um you know the same I, I don't know gravitas classiness to go with like a fine meal that they would with like a wine or a cocktail so it's really fun it's also and this is a a hot take that i will never back down from beer is a infinitely superior companion to cheese from wine. Uh, oh, no one yeah. can convince me otherwise on a, on <laughs> a, a, a chemical level because of the carbon dioxide in the beer actually kind of scrubs that like cheesy layer off your palate, helps you taste it better. Mm. Cosine,
3: Plus, cosine, hard yeah. to agree.
1: I'm agreeing with you already. Just based on that. Beautiful. Like, Excellent. Yeah. I ahead. <laughs> three, three out of three podcast hosts agree. But, um, you know, it, one, one of the other fun things I love doing is blowing people's minds because if you take like a, a really hoppy IPA and you pair it with a really sharp cheddar, something about that combination brings out this insane like citrus tropical fruit thing in the cheddar. And it's, it's, it's nuts. It makes people's eyes pop out of their skull every time. And I love it. So I was wondering, Andrew, if you had any of those, anything where you're like, believe it or not, you know, Midori goes amazingly (laughs) with, like, tuna sashimi or something. I don't know, something like that that we wouldn't see coming.
4: I think that that's a contextual thing. I think you have to be on a coastal town in Japan for that one to work. (laughs) 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 But, yeah, I mean, some of my favorite flavor pairings are, especially with beer, are porters and stouts paired with a salty oyster, which is one of those harmonious pairings you wouldn't expect or you might be baffled by when you haven't see it on paper but when you drink them together especially an oyster stout which is named for such a pairing it has a oh wow moment and for me it's um for example i like making a lot of dessert cocktail pairings so The pastry chef that I was working with, she would make a sour cherry ice cream sandwich with chocolate uh, chili flavored cookies on it. And I used a lot of her same ingredients to make a rich, slightly chili and chocolatey Manhattan style cocktail with bullet rye and a Turkish sour cherry liqueur. And um, you know, most people wouldn't necessarily think of having them together, but we would often have the cocktail batched and just serve a little taster to go with the ice cream sandwich, so that people can have the um, synergy of that experience together.
3: Nice. You're that's fun. pretty. I think that's pretty incredible. I think the hardest pairing. Out there is alcohol and and sweets, alcohol and desserts. Uh, although many drinks have sweet stuff in them, I think alcohol itself really rubs hard up against sweet foods uh, in, a, in a difficult way to overcome. Yeah, so it sounds, like, it sounds it, like you really you really dove into it to make it happen. It
4: does, and you know it's it's because I think that when we have a cocktail, we're putting. Three quarters of an ounce or an ounce of lime juice into a gimlet or a daiquiri, and it's like, okay, that's so much sourness. It's never going to go with a dessert. Um, or we want it to be a boozy, rich cognac or you know extra aged rum, like as a coppa Exo neat with a dessert, and there's not enough sugar in there. And this reminds me of the classic failure of food pairing that happens at nine out of ten weddings. You're serving wedding cake and you (laughs) serve a dry champagne or Prosecco with it. And when you have a dry wine or dry cocktail with a sweet dessert, the cocktail tastes bland and the dessert tastes cloyingly sweet. So you actually need to have um, more sweetness in the drink than in the dessert itself. So. Um, in the case of the wedding cake, you really want to be serving like a ultra premium Moscato Dusty, or maybe you make a nice boozy, uh, champagne cocktail with a good amount of sugar in it. And in that case, you can also talk to your pastry chef and say, Hey, maybe we make semi savory desserts that have less intense Mm -hmm. sweetness. That Mm -hmm. way I can serve a moderately sweet cocktail that isn't cloying and it will still show really nicely with your dessert.
3: Yeah, that's that's brilliant and well thought out. You know, when I taught at the New England Culinary Institute, I lectured a class called Taste and Flavor, where we talked about how like flavor plus like flavor, so salt plus salt in the end equals less salty. And this is why maybe you put some salt on your baked potato, and you take a few bites and you put more salt on there, and then you do another couple of bites and you put more salt on there, uh, because the more salt you add, the less salt you're getting. So you have to, you know, get to a place where you can understand that, um, you have to and, – and then the opposite is true as well. As you just said, something uh, completely not sweet up against something really sweet makes them both seem more of what they are. The sweet thing seems more sweet and the dry thing seems even more dry. More polarizing. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's pretty intuitive of you to pick up on that and, and, and address it in your bars. It's pretty great. I'd love to come have some drinks at your spots. Um, <laughs> well, we got to get ourselves over to Poland. Uh, but let's take a quick break here and hear from, <laughs> hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to keep talking to Andrew Meltzer all the way in from Poland. Uh, and what we need to talk about now is because now is the time, and you're over there where the snow's already on the ground. We need to talk about winter cocktails when we come back. So stay with us.
1: Gentlemen, it is holiday season. As literally everything around us keeps reminding us, it is that time of year again. Time for hot drinks. Time for spices. Time for miracle. Time to uh, figure out what the hell to do with your outdoor patio. What are you guys (laughs) looking forward to drinking this year?
3: I mean, as we've mentioned several times on the show, I'm converting Amore Margo into lodge or loggia, loggia, the Italian word for lodge, loggia by Amore Margo, where we're doing all hot drinks out there. I'm super stoked to be doing that. What do you got going, Damon? lots
2: and lots of booze just lots and lots of booze <laughs> i mean it, I, I love this time of year for cocktails i'm not like i'm not so much into the holidays as much as i am into the cocktails that come along with it i love kind of boozier, spicy spiced uh, warm drinks i love all of it and so like big it, punch
3: bowls tom and jerry's eggnogs yeah, totally. like yeah totally. let's
2: get it on right yeah uh, absolutely
3: got any resources for finding out how to get this stuff done
2: I sure do. Have you ever heard of diageobaracademy.com? <laughs> Tell me more about it, buddy. Well, you can go to diageobaracademy.com and there's tons of master classes on exactly what we're talking about, outdoor seating and how to kind of change up and kind of fortify your, your outdoor uh, parklets and, and, and patios for the, the kind of warmer cocktails, colder weather, Um, there's lots of information on there as well about not only that, but like ultimately just the the seasonal menu in general and some fun stuff too. We were talking about on the show today about low and no ABV cocktails, um, which is something very popular. And I actually like those in the wintertime because I can actually hang out and drink more of them. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get to have more of those fun, exciting, wintry flavors uh, if you can, you know, stretch out your evening by going low and no ABV. I totally get that. Yeah, the great thing about the Agio Bar Academy for me, I bring it up over and over again, is that it's a resource that's out there for free for anyone who wants it. You're a new bartender. You're old hat at this. You own a place. You're a manager. You're you, you're just interested in looking into it. Uh, it's all for free. I think the best thing to do is to sign up for their newsletter. Uh, you get a uh, Information about all the new things that they're posting, but also don't forget that the website has such a huge category, uh, or rather, cache of archive stuff. And man, they really leaned into it and put their put their uh, skills to work in making this thing work for everyone who, who signs
2: on. And you got a lot Absolutely. of the former the former winners of of world class who are teaching these classes. You know, so you got the best of the best teaching yeah
1: even our even our uh, our friend andrew might have uh, a class coming up on december 14th but we can we can let him talk about that himself later on but for now you should go to diageobaracademy.com. that's d i a g e o baracademy.com check out all of these can't miss masterclasses they really are the gift that keeps on giving in the meantime <laughs> happy holidays stay warm stay safe and cheers
2: cheers
3: cheers
1: everybody And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're talking with Andrew Meltzer. And before the break, we were talking uh, a little bit about holiday cocktails. And, uh, you know, we were talking about some of our favorite, you know, sneaky ways to get, you know, some, some unexpected food pairings, maybe some fun ways to, like, kind of drop the pH of cocktails down besides just using citrus. So I really want to talk, you know, tis the season and all that. I really wanted to talk about your holiday specs and if you had anything you know any any special tricks up your sleeve in designing a a holiday menu or just kind of like a you know themed winter cocktail menu
4: yeah of course i love chatting about holiday cocktails and you know when the holidays are coming around especially now that a lot of bars are short-staffed or we've got a lot of trainees behind the bar it might not be the right time to come out with an entirely new twenty-five cocktail menu, but there are some little things that you can do to revamp your existing cocktails and turn them into something that's a little bit more winterized, utilizing seasonal produce and warming spices and things like that. Um, you know, one of my favorites was a draft cocktail. It was a kettle one mule where we would use a um, ginger syrup that was fortified with a little bit of organic apple cider vinegar and some green cardamom. And Ooh. then when we would garnish it, we'd have some dehydrated apple slices and a couple sprigs of fresh thyme so that you got that kind of like hard winter herbs and, of course, the sweet and warming spices of cardamom. But at the same time, it's still a crowd-pleasing Moscow mule variation. And, of course, doing something on draft was even better for a high-volume place. Um, And like I said, right now, as we're all surviving after COVID and just trying to focus on hospitality and um, spend more time taking care of the guests and less time making eight-ingredient cocktails, things like draft, bottled, and draft cocktails are really winning for a lot of bars. Um, You know, I also, I'm sure you guys are with me, um, love a tiki cocktail in the wintertime. Oh, yes. (laughs) And so I love winter tiki. And one of my favorites is a, a Mai Tai. That I would do. It's the called the white chocolate mai tai. I keep my naming straightforward so that my guests don't ask too many questions or feel <laughs> um, or feel confused. You know, sometimes we have so many obscure names and puns on our cocktails that it doesn't guide the guests so easily. Uh, but yeah, so I would do like Ron Zacapa twenty three infused with pistachios, and then. Nice. I'd strain off the rum, which we'd use in the cocktail later on, but I'd take the rum soaked pistachios and cook them with cane sugar, um, add a little splash of brandy and orange flower water and blend that up so that I had a rum and pistachio orgeat shaken with some triple sec lime juice. And then I'd top it with shavings of Valrhona white chocolate, a sprig of mint, and I'd... um, Put a couple grated pistachios on top. And since we were talking about food pairing, I'd also serve this with a small little dish of some salted, toasted Turkish pistachios.
2: Nice. Oh, hell yeah.
3: Sounds brilliant. And, uh, you know, I I always, I I never really put it together until you just said it, but winter tiki. I think I really enjoy that too, because I do often joke about how what we consider to be holiday or uh, winter spices. All come from islands where winter doesn't visit right <laughs> yeah, right. Like all those you know uh, cinnamon, nutmeg, clove, uh, even ginger, they're all coming from places where it isn't it isn't ever winter yet we here in America for some reason we've, we've glommed onto those things in our winter pies and foods that we, we associate them with cold weather. Uh,
4: mm-hmm. And shoved every single one of those spices into our pumpkin spice latte.
3: Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, our pumpkin spice everything. Well, yeah. those
2: spices, those spices tend to be warming to like a, you know to us in the winter time. But you know when you think about them being on the island where it's always warm, it's like okay, that makes sense. It's like you know when when you go to like like Martinique, right? And you get like a tea punch. It's like it doesn't come on ice. It's like I I, I used to have a friend who would only drink hot coffee in the summertime and then iced coffee in the winter time because the temperatures were like. They were on brand with each other. It was, it's right. kind of an interesting thing. <laughs> yeah. And but it's like, sure, you're, um, not, you're not shocking your system. Right.
4: Exactly. It's like somebody running a marathon. Is, you, don't, they, you don't want to drink an ice cold water, it's right. going to freeze, uh, freeze you from the inside out. But that said, uh, I, I,
2: I, like, I like the idea of having the little like, side of pistachios because the, there's a classic cocktail called the Ideal Cocktail. And traditionally, it was served with a side of uh, toasted almonds. And, mm. and I always thought that was cool that it came with its own specific snack and yeah i like a cocktail that does that but the okay. like gibson yeah i mean <laughs> like well, the yeah, gibson exactly
4: yeah. <laughs> or or imagine you're in a tapas bar and you order right, exactly. a vermouth cocktail which would mostly just be a glass of vermouth and a bit of soda with some orange and a couple of olives and obviously olives are a garnish but to them really that's just a snack it's a combination sure. deal
3: wow. soup and salad
4: yeah, you know, I, I I really got the idea, or or was um, turned on by it by Justin Park, who's an insanely good bartender in Honolulu, Hawaii, and at Bar Leather Apron, which is his Japanese-inspired speakeasy highbrow cocktail bar. Um, he doesn't serve a large food menu. I think they just have a few snacks, but all the cocktails are more of like a elaborate storytelling serve there's a lot of smoke and tricks and beautiful glassware and everything um, comes with a little snack or something as well as a maybe carefully essenced glass of mineral water or something like that so that it's not just the cocktail but all of the little accoutrements that go with it and really add up to the experience
2: I love that yeah
1: man I mean one of my one of my favorite um, experiences from the like the dull dark cold depths of last winter like before we we got our shots and were able to reclaim some level of normalcy in our lives was it was um, I think the real feel was about 22 degrees and me and uh Matt levy from the covert cocktail club we decided to go we were gonna go to Long Island bar and we we're gonna have martinis and we we're gonna sit outside and I convinced myself at the time I'm like this is great because my martini is just getting colder and colder. As I sit here, it's not warming up on me. It's actually, if anything getting better. And it was, you you know, it's one of these sort of cognitive dissonance things where it's like, I love this for the story. I love this for the unique experience that is. And obviously for the company and for Long Island bars, delicious martinis, you know, no complaints there, but also I hate being cold. <laughs> I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like being cold sucks. I call winter whining season. So I-, I was wondering, Andrew, if you had any tips about how to, you know, maybe make an app, out- maybe bridge that gap, make a fun, memorable outdoor dining experience, but also one where I'm not freezing my ass off the entire time. <laughs> yeah, right.
4: I-, I know. And that's a really challenging topic because you might be in a mild climate where. All you need is a few blankets and a little heater, or you could be in the mountains in Colorado where you have to fully embrace an apres ski sort of themed outdoor experience with a blazing fire pit and s'mores and hot chocolate, you know? Um, So I'm actually doing some work with the Diageo Bar Academy, and we've got a whole series of masterclasses. There's one that I'll be presenting on Tuesday the 14th, And it's actually called just that. It's transforming your outdoor spaces for the cold winter months. And I've done a lot of research from all around the world and what people have been doing to maybe show a little bit of a winter themed pop-up. And um, one of my favorites was actually, it was an outdoor winter tiki bar that they were serving mulled hot ciders with rum. And they also had a non-alcoholic version and they had a local donut food truck, making hot, fresh donuts. So you could be drinking hot or cold cocktails, but you got something warm and tasty in your hand. And also, you know, when you're outside, you need to think about nourishing yourself. So you want a little bit of sugar or some of these baking spices we were talking about, raw ginger and chili peppers are actually activating your digestive system, and heating you up from the inside out. So you can use these ingredients in your food that you're serving to make guests feel a little bit warmer. And, um, yeah, you know, also just having a really interesting menu of artisanal teas and tea and coffee cocktails, as well as a variety of hot toddies. I mean, for me, I even had some ultra-premium hot toddies, like... um, a johnny walker blue label blue blazer that was fifty (laughs) dollars and you know when somebody sees a blue blazer flying across the bar they're like oh my lord that is so cool and they order it and you're like it is a fifty dollar cocktail but they've already committed at that point so you can use things like that as a big revenue builder sure
3: (laughs) when uh when is this master class going to go live It's going to be on um, Tuesday, the
4: 14th. And um, if you go to Diageobaracademy.com, there's a link right on the homepage so you can register. Um, Yeah, and, you know, we've got lots of really cool ideas talking about um, some of my other favorite hot cocktails and using even little things like uh, having a thermos of tea put on every guest table with some mugs and uh, maybe even some like camping themed gear and things like that. So people kind of get in the mood of being outside, but yeah, offering like free hot tea service using loose leaf tea will actually cost your business pennies, but give this guest amazing satisfaction knowing that you're really caring for them.
3: Man, I wish this uh, class had had aired earlier. You know, I'm opening up Lodge by Amore Amargo tomorrow. Uh, I probably could have used some of these tips and uh, advice uh, moving into this thing myself. It's, <laughs> we're, we're, we've created an entirely uh, uh, a menu of hot drinks featuring Amaro vermouth and bitters, uh, which is, you know, what we do at the bar. Um, mm. But yeah, even even the little thing that you just said, I'm already jotting down notes. I might get get a hold of some cool thermoses even just to do water service in because it has that more lodgy feel than just the normal water bottle that we put down. Yeah, so that's a cute idea.
4: You know, and then I, I'm also borrowing some concepts from fine dining restaurants where they might have a bain-marie with all of the hot um, all the silverware in hot water or in a, in a silverware or plate warmer so that you can drop silverware. With the dish as it's coming out, and as guests pick up a fork or a knife, it's actually warm instead of freezing cold because it's been sitting outside for an hour and a half. It's um, a nice touch. So yeah, th- yeah, there are little things, and of course, you know, you want to make sure that when you're serving hot food and hot drinks that they stay hot. So you need to be using heavy ceramics for your hot toddies and coffee and chocolate drinks. You know, I like the look of camping wear, like enamel, uh, metal enamel cups, but they lose their heat in seconds. So they're They're fun. They're
3: they're too good at thermal dissemination. Yeah.
4: Yeah. But, you know, you serve things in uh, preheated cast iron dishes or um, a, maybe a pasta dish, like a baked lobster mac and cheese that's like in a piping hot container that was in the oven, that thing will stay hot even outside for at least 15 minutes or
2: so. Mm-hmm. You know, something we've done in the past at Grand Army is, um, and, and we've touched on this several times on the show, so it's almost a theme here, but um, but we do um, hot vermouth. And, you know, like what it is is basically it's mulled wine that's fortified already. It's like you don't even have to mix it. I mean, it's got it's got the aromatics in it. And uh, and it's vermouth is awesome. Served warm. Mm, you know, we all yeah. we'll garnish it with, you know, like cinnamon stick and, and orange and things like that and clove. But um, and, you know, we will we will do a little extra fortification to it as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. Of, but of course, but <laughs> I mean- it's, it's great, you know.
3: Well, we're, one of the things we're doing for the hot drinks at at uh, lodge um, is where we got you know those electric kettles, which are amazing. They, they boil water magically fast. Mm-hmm. I don't understand them, frankly. Um, but we mull the water. That way, we can use the same water for all the different drinks. So the water has cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, allspice, and ginger Ooh. in the water. That way, it's the same water that goes into each of the drinks.
4: Yeah, you know, both of these are tickling my sense of the. Trend that is not going to fade anytime soon for low and no alcohol cocktails, Mm -hmm. and you know it's obviously being picked up not just by cocktail bars, but even the best restaurants in the world are having an extensive list of really thoughtful, food friendly, and creative non alcoholic and low ABV drinks. And so you know we have things like Seedlip is a really great tool. uh, It's a great non alcoholic spirit, but it can be expensive to use a full two ounce measure of that, you know? So I like to stretch things out with uh, cold brewed teas. And if you're using really interesting herbal teas, you can add some texture cause you're getting a little bit of tannin and astringency and um, you're still finding something that fills the volume requirements without adding tons of lime juice and sugar or expensive non-alcoholic spirits and things like that uh so i recommend doing like what you said using um flavored waters to enhance your cock your hot cocktails or to enhance your low and no abd cocktails
3: yeah absolutely it's a great technique to um uh, to add add flavor without, you know, dilute, to, without, without over diluting, which I think is often a problem in low and, and no AVV cocktails. It's, you, you, you get stuck and you don't know what else to add. Um, so you end up adding water and that just sort of, you know, water, water does nothing but take away. It doesn't add.
4: Yeah. One of my favorite, um, again, food friendly, non-alcoholic cocktails. We actually designed it for a tasting menu at Noosh, the Mediterranean restaurant I was working at in San Francisco. It's called a cherry leaf sour. So we use these wild foraged Armenian teas. Uh, This one had cherry leaves and hibiscus. And we'd make a concentrated cold brew out of that. And that would be our base. Plus, we'd add a bit of pomegranate reduction, a little bit of lemon juice, a drop of cane sugar, and shake it up, serve it in a coupe glass, and then we'd spray an aroma of bergamots on top. So you nice. had lots of Mediterranean flavors. You had a bit of tartness. And it wasn't just the acid that was coming from lemon juice. So you weren't just stuck in this citric malic acid camp. We also had bits of tartaric acid coming from the tea and the pomegranate reduction. So you had a more interesting play of mouthfeels and bitterness. Um, and this is something that you could easily add half an ounce or three quarters of an ounce of bullet 10-year bourbon to give it a boozier feeling to it.
3: Yeah, and I, I'm a huge fan of uh, aromatics um, on top of drinks. Uh, I keep, a, you know, a, on the different menus that I operate, we keep a, an array of uh, atomizers full of just a, – a you know, oils like basil or ginger or um, uh, or even, like you just said, bergamot uh, that we can just puff right across the top of a drink. You know, mm. people people either don't know or they forget that aroma is 90% of flavor. So you want to hit them with that mm. burst of aroma right in their nose when the, when the drink comes up to their lips. And that will change the outlook of the drink from yeah. top to bottom.
4: You know, we would use that tool um, for a lot of cocktails and especially when I started developing – Draft cocktails at our restaurant. You know, we've talked about it already, but people are short staffed and it's hard to have really complex cocktail menus when we're training new staff and we're really just trying to build revenue in the restaurant and focus on service instead of having our head down making complex drinks in the well. But of course, a lot of experienced bartenders are reluctant to have draft cocktails because they feel like it's taking the showmanship and the craft and the storytelling out of it. But for example, we had a whiskey cola with a homemade cola style syrup and, um, an American whiskey. And then we infused our water with some cocoa nibs and sour cherries. And so all it took to serve the drink was filling a highball glass with ice, pouring the draft cocktail, and garnishing it with a dehydrated orange. And then we would bring this glass to the table and spray the top of it with a cocoa nib and clove aromatic. So not only do the guests get this really wonderful smell, but now they've got a table side serve. That's super fast, but it looks crafty and gives you the opportunity to do a little bit of storytelling and show your mixology skills and culinary uh, attention to detail table side. Very cool.
3: Yeah, that's pretty brilliant. Um, And and I I do understand what you say, uh, although the chef in me is always wondering why the consumer is so anti prepared cocktails when uh, as a chef no one ever came to me and said i can't believe you made this soup before i got here (laughs) um you know i prepared it knowing you were coming uh you know like this is this is prepared for you already Uh, I'm, i'm being even more thoughtful um anyway man it's been really great chatting with you about this stuff uh and really great to have you on again even all the way in from poland i appreciate you taking time out from your sounds like lovely vacation over there to chat with us um where can people follow along with your antics and and keep up with the, with what you're doing with world-class and and all the educations you're you're doing?
4: Yeah. um, I'm on Instagram at Daiquiri doctor and always, always traveling with a bottle of Zacapa rum. And um, you can subscribe to the Diageo Bar Academy newsletter at diageobaracademy.com. We actually just, uh, released the new 2022 World Class Studio series this la- this week. So there's tons of great content and you can subscribe to see what's happening. There's also loads of tools that people can use to train their bar staff, especially as we're really busy um, as bar managers. And yeah, I'll be doing some pop-ups throughout the next few months and just traveling around and taking notes on current trends and sharing them with people and following
3: along with you guys. Man, that's great. Thank you so much for again, taking a bit of time out and, and hanging out with us. This is some pretty cool and valuable information. And I really do wish that this, uh, this masterclass, I'm going to tune in for sure. Um, because my whole new, um, outlook at Amore Margo for the winter is, is outdoor service in the cold in what we're calling lodge by Amore Margo or Loggia in Italian. Um, <laughs> I can't, uh, you know, I can't, I can't even believe that you're doing a masterclass on the thing that I've been racking my brains about for the past few weeks. So, that's um, awesome. I, I know I'm going to glean a few extra things. We've already kind of obviously got the ball in motion, um, but I, I'm, even today I've already jotted down this this bit about the thermoses, which has my brain thinking about those kind of things too. So, we're going to get we're going to get deeper into it.
4: Nice. Well, I'm excited, and good luck with the uh, relaunch. And Amor has always been one of my favorite bars in the world. So. I'll make sure to swing by sometime for that seven Amaro Sazerac and all of your new eight, tasty eight, eight, buddy, eight, eight, <laughs> eight. Oh my God. I need to count better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks to you and Damon and Greg and hope you guys all have an amazing holiday season and have happy customers, happy staff and great time with your families.
2: Same to thanks you so much. Thanks so much.
1: Same to you, man. Thank you. Appreciate you.
2: All right. Well, that's it for the SpeakEasy this week. Check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. Click on the beating heart to donate to the station, keep us going, and check out DiageoBarAcademy.com. dot uh, com. It's been a great resource. We've really been super excited about all the information we've got from from your website, and it's just it's it's cool that it's all there and it's archived and it's free. So thank you for that, and cheers to everyone. Happy holidays. Cheers,
1: Cheers, everybody. Thanks so Bye. much. So you don't the devil with your
3: rock. The speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10 year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash Heritage Radio Network.
2: Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization